scripture to uh, please uh, pray with me. Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, we are grateful that you have spoken to us, that we know that you are, and not only do we know that you are, but we know about you. You've told us, and not only that, because of the work of Christ in us, we know you, and we're grateful. So now we pray that you would enable us to listen well, to hear, to speak that which is true, to believe and to live, that we might fear you and thus worship you and thus obey you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Malachi, please, in chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I want to read through chapter 4 and verse 3. Malachi chapter 3 through uh, verse 13. Through chapter 4, verse 3, please. Hear the word of God. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said, it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts... And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet." On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the sixth and last of what we've been calling these disputations, disputes between God and the Israelites. Malachi, the prophet, prophets come to really enforce the terms of the covenant. God makes covenants. That's how he deals with people and his creation. These covenants are ways that God initiates. He comes and says, this is how you, you are to relate to me and I relate to you. And when those terms are broken, prophets come uh, to, to speak to the people on behalf of God, if you will, to say, here's how the covenant has been broken and here are the consequences of that. And in the, in the midst of that coming of the prophets to enforce the covenant, uh, there is always this call to return. And so God says, return to me, repent. And so here we've been looking at these various Disputes, if you will, God makes a statement that is true. The people respond to it, normally with an edgy kind of way. And in their response, God then comes and corrects them and speaks to them that which is true and calls them really either explicitly or implicitly to repent, uh, to return. I find this one, just personally, as I read through these six different disputes between God and the people, I find this one in one sense to be most revealing of the people, their hearts really, And then also most devastating, that is, if 
They continue to live according to that heart that's exposed, that's been exposed throughout this whole prophetic book. We see the devastation, the eternal devastation that can come to them. But also I find in this one um, the greatest hope. So I want to follow that, if you will. Through You'll notice in verse 18 there's a distinction made between two different types, if you will, two different categories, if you will, of people. He writes, then once more, that is when the end comes, we would put it as Christians when Jesus returns, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So there'll be a distinction at the end. Because you see, the, the question here is essentially, God, what about those who don't serve you? What about those who don't serve you? Those who don't serve him are those who don't fear him. That's the sense of it. Those who fear him serve him. Those who fear him worship him. Because you see, that which we fear, really, we worship. And that which we worship, we obey. For instance, if you're afraid of the dark, that's your fear. You, The sense in which worship that, that's the thing dark that you place in very high value and it dictates your life to the degree that you don't go places that are dark it you obey it if you're afraid to fail that becomes your god if you will that's what you worship and that's what you obey and so you find yourself reacting to that fear Um, and, and and so they were to fear god and thus serve him thus Worshiping, those who fear God first know that he is and second know who he is. Those who fear God know first those that he is, that he exists, he's real. And they also then know who he is. And, And those who fear God then know that God is holy. That is, he's unique. There's no one like him. And they know that He's all wise, that is, his wisdom is holy. His wisdom is a class by itself. But there isn't any wisdom like God's wisdom. They know that he's powerful. He has all power. He's almighty. His power is holy. No one's power is like God. It's in a class by itself. They know that he's love. That his love is unlike anyone else's love. And his love is in a class by itself. And they see that. They know that he's just. That his justice is in a class by itself. That there's no one like him. And so you see, when we see God as holy in all his attributes, we realize that he's then righteous in all his ways. That is, that everything he does and everything he thinks and everything he says is righteous. That is right according to this standard that he is of holy wisdom, holy power, holy love, holy justice. And he lives, if you will, in accordance with that holiness. Describes him. And so a person who sees that then is humbled in the presence of that holiness. And that's what it means to fear God. You see that and you're humbled by that. Your knee is bent before that. Your head is bowed before that because he is 
holy and we realize that we are not. And, and so then that one who fears God in that sense worships him, serves him. That's what that sense first means, to serve God, is to worship him, to have no other gods but him. And so someone who fears God then worships him. And to worship means to sit in awe of him, to praise him for who he is because there isn't anyone like him. And so when you see him, you, you sit, bow, stand, lay, whatever it is before him in awe and wonder. You, you, you don't know anyone like this. And so you can't help but say, wow. That's that, that, the loose translation of the word praise. And we give him thanks for what he's done because we look at what he's done and realize if he hadn't created us, we wouldn't be. If he didn't give us breath, we wouldn't be. If he didn't make this, we wouldn't have it. Uh, and, and then we look very closely uh, as Christians, especially, but even they in those days. Uh, he saved us. He's redeemed us. And so we give him thanks for that. And then because of all that, in the midst of worship, we yes, we praise him. We give him thanks in recognizing that he is and who he is. Then in humble submission to him, we give joyful obedience. So we go all the way from fearing him to worshiping him to obeying him. It's a nice logical progression. If you fear him, you'll worship him. If you worship him, you'll obey him. If there's a break in that, then there's something wrong in your understanding of him and your fear of him. And you see, see so, so that's what Malachi is saying here. There's those who fear the Lord and there's those who don't. Those who fear him, worship him. Those who don't fear him, don't worship him. Those who fear him, worship, serve, obey him. Those who don't fear him, don't worship, serve him. And so he says, the end of time, you'll see this distinction. And the reason that's important is because we begin here in verse 13, where God says through the prophet, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Hard against me. They've been, they've been arrogant, right? They've been harsh. Your words have been hard against me. But you say, how have we spoken against you? In other words, the people are still clueless. They say, really? What have we really said that's been harsh against you, God? And he said, you've said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not, over, not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Essentially, you see, what, what's happening here is that the people uh, are talking probably not in their minds directly to God. In other words, they don't kneel down and pray and say, God, blah, blah, blah. You know, evildoers are being blessed and we're not. God, um, um, uh, what prophet? There's no real prophet in following you. But, but in talking to each other. They're slandering God. They're, they're talking to him. And of course, God hears that. You know, we have a tendency to, th- to, to think that God isn't, I don't know, that God isn't present or something. It's sort of like little kids, you know, when they put their hands in front of their face and they say, you can't see me. And we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We pretend with them. We, we think that somehow we can do that with God if, if we just close our eyes or we look away or we're talking to somebody else. That God really isn't eavesdropping on this conversation that he didn't even know what we were going to say before we said it. But, but, he, but he knows that. And, and so they go, God, when did we say that? He says, well, all the time. That, that your attitude, in a sense, towards me. You're thinking, 
listen, we've made these sacrifices. We've done this worship. We even put sackcloth and ashes on and, and, and we went in this long time of repentance and, and repentance mode and all of that. And it didn't seem to do any good because God was still just a little people uh, still occupied by the Persians and, and, uh, and our life isn't good. We're still not prosperous. Um, nobody envies us. Nobody's coming to us. It isn't like we thought it was going to be. And so it must be that all that we've done is just in vain. That is a waste of time, futile, senseless, means nothing. That's what it seems to us. We've been doing this for all this time, uh, ever since we've been back from the exile, ever since we've been back in Jerusalem, ever since we rebuilt the temple, ever since we, the walls were rebuilt. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better for us. And not only that, God, but we look around and those who don't give a rip about you at all, who are challenging you, it seems like, day and night. They're living in ways that you would never have them live, and they seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing well. They seem to be challenging you to judge them, and you don't. So it really must all be a waste of time. That's what's really going on with them. That's what's really going on with them. And so what's important as we get to that verse 18 that I talked about a minute ago, what's, what's really important there is to realize God is saying, no, 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 just wait, persevere, you'll, you'll, really, you'll really see it. You know, we realize as we've been working our way through this, through this uh, prophetic book that there, sort of as we often do as human beings, um, overemphasizing how good they've been. I mean, they say we've been doing all of this, but, but we know what's really going on. Uh, we know that they've been bringing lame, literally, sacrifices. Uh, and they think, well, we've been doing all this sacrificing. He said, no, you've been bringing lame sacrifices, first and foremost. You're not really understanding it. And you remember, you know the reason why. Their sacrifices need to be, needed to be perfect. Their sacrifices needed to be perfect. The animals they brought for sacrifice needed to be perfect because... It had to alarm everyone that they were killing such a good animal. It had to alarm everyone. People had to say, wait a minute, why are you killing this animal? It's your best. There's nothing at all wrong with this animal. This animal shouldn't be slaughtered like this. This is your best. And, and, and they were to, to do that so that then they would realize, well, I guess this animal needs to die for me in my place. See, the animal didn't need to die, but, but, but they did. There was nothing wrong with the animal. There was something wrong with them. And God was taking the animal and instead his love and grace and mercy and justice, all of that wrapped up so that, of course, when Jesus would come, we'd get it. There's no reason at all for him to die. But he looked at the cross and they should say, why is he dying? He doesn't deserve to die. No, but I do. He for me. So they're bringing lame sacrifices. The priests weren't teaching rightly. The people were faithless to the covenant with God and with each other. We saw all of that. And now they're saying, well, we've done all this, but it really hasn't mattered. Well, they didn't do it really. At least do it wholeheartedly. At least didn't do it according to God's ways, but they sort of thought they did. But, but even so, you see, they had this idea that sometimes we get as well, that if I do this, then God's obligated to do that. If, if I do this, then, then, then certainly this will be the outcome. And there's a sense in which God says, I'm just, wait, but that's really not a very good expectation, is it? Because God isn't accountable to us, but we, him. He'll be faithful to his promises. He'll work them out. Uh, he'll work them out. 
It's a danger for us, isn't it? You go to church decade after decade. You give your tithes. Say your prayers. Read the Bible in a small group. Do the nursery. Teach Sunday school. Do this, do that, do this, do this. And at certain points in our lives, our lives seem to fall apart. Horrible things can happen. You can lose a spouse. You can lose a child. Your relationship can sour. You can lose a job. You can find yourself in very difficult straits. Your health can fail. And you begin to think, God, I've done all this all my life. Has it been worth it? Was it in vain? You see, what's happening here is that people started slandering God and they were just talking together. And no one was putting a stop to it until the prophet came. Nobody put a stop to it. Everybody was saying, well, well this is horrible. Uh, worshiping God is, is vain. Let's just stop doing this. What's the use really? As we mentioned a few weeks ago, this isn't utterly new. Others have gone before the Lord with similar kinds of words, but with a different attitude. For instance, in Psalm 73, Asaph, the psalmist, has this same kind of, kind of notion in a sense. Uh, the psalm begins like this, like a lot of psalms do with the conclusion. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he gets it, he understands, yes, that's the conclusion. But then he goes on to make his own personal confession. It is, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Same sort of thing as what's happening in this last book of the Old Testament, this last prophetic book. But a different edge on it because, you see, he's not slandering God at this point. He's going to God. He's saying, God, I don't understand. Please help me. He wants wants help with this. And since he received help from this, then we get help through him about this as well. Verse 4, he says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. (laughs) That, by the way, is the look I'm going for. Um, I'm a little closer. I'm doing better on one than the other, but fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is in their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. And he's saying, they should be destroyed. They should be judged, but, but, but they're not. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will thus, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He said, listen, is it just foolishness that I've, I've tried to follow after you've gone? If I had spoken like them, I would have betrayed everyone, but, but, but what's the deal? What's the deal? And he's given the same insight that Malachi would give, except he's given it from God in a sweeter way. Verse 16. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. 
See, what happened to him then is he saw the end from the beginning. He said, oh, I see where that life leads. At the moment, I was envious of it. But, but now I see where it leads. That's what Malachi is to lay out here as well. He sees where it leads. He says, in that day, those evildoers will be judged. Uh, there's something encouraging here. Verse 16 speaks of a different group of people, not those who are, are, are wearying the Lord and speaking these harsh words. Notice, it says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed, uh, esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. There's, a, there's another group. There's this group of people in Israel at the time. Because of the way this prophetic book has been written, we wondered if they were even there. I mean, so far we really haven't heard of this group of people. We've, we thought everybody has been going against God. But there was a group in that, the midst of them, this remnant as God always has of his people. And there they are. And they're the ones who fear him, you see. And again, in fearing him, they know that he is. And they know who he is. They know that he's holy. They know there is none like him. They know that his wisdom is holy. Wisdom. There's no wisdom like it. They know that his power is holy power. There's no power like it. They know that his love is holy love. There's no love like it. They know that his justice is holy justice. There's no justice like it. And so they sit in awe of him and they say, that's who God is. And they bow before him, you see. And in bowing before him, they give him praise for who he is. They give him thanks for what he's done. And in humble submission they seek to joyfully obey him joyfully not constrained because you see they realize who he is and if he really is that then why wouldn't one submit and joyfully then yield joyfully follow joyfully walk in his ways joyfully obey and so so that's this sense of worship all the time that's this group that fear him and 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 they speak to each other as well. And they don't slander God, but they actually speak of God because they esteem Him. They speak well of Him. They, as the psalmist would say, they bless His name. You see, to, to bless someone's name is to speak well of it, to speak a blessing to it. When you sneeze and somebody says, bless you, they don't just, they shouldn't just mean thanks for not, you know, getting any of that on me. Uh, but they say, they should be speaking a good word to you. No, we just sort of do that because it's common. But, but, but the sense is, bless you. God, bless you. So to, to bless someone's name is to speak well of them. So they're blessing the name of God as they talk. Now, no, we don't know exactly what they said to each other while they were, while they were speaking to each other. Uh, but... It must have been something that God appreciated, God liked to hear. And something, therefore, that would strengthen them. There's a great story in 1 Samuel. It's this relationship between David and Jonathan, these dear, 
dear friends. You might know that story. You know that, 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 that Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and he was heir to the throne. He was prince. But you might remember that God chose David to be the next king. Well, David and Jonathan made covenant together. They were dear friends. And in the midst of that relationship, that covenant relationship between these two men, um, Jonathan gave up his uh, right to the throne. And he gave it to David. And he pledged himself always to fight for David, to protect David, to be David's friend. Now, that was complicated, of course, because Saul, Jonathan's dad, was king. And Saul, Jonathan's dad, hated David. And David and Jonathan were best friends. And Jonathan had pledged his life to David. So on many occasions, Jonathan ended up risking his life with his dad, the king, to protect David. There was a time when David, because he found himself often doing this, running from Saul. There was a time that David was running from Saul, that Jonathan, his friend, came to find him. And there's this wonderful, wonderful little expression. It said that when David, I'm sorry, when Jonathan found David, he came to him and strengthened his hand in God. First Samuel 23. Strengthened his hand in God. You get the sense that when these people are speaking to one another about God, that's what they're doing. They're living in the same Israel that the others who do not fear God are living in. That is to say, they're looking around and they're seeing evildoers, if you will, prosper and they not prospering. They're seeing the same situation. They're living through the same situation. They're seeing that, that even though there's worship going on and there's sacrifice going on and, and all of that going on in, in, in Jerusalem, they realize that that, 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 that that group of people, that group of Israelites, isn't getting any stronger, it seems, vis-a-vis the Persians. doesn't seem to be having a better situation. All the same junk that's happening to those who don't fear God are happening to this group of people. There's something different about them. They fear the Lord. They, they know that he is. They know who he is. And, and they, they really worship him. And as they talk to one another, you get the sense, it's just like Jonathan, by his words, strengthened David in God. They were strengthening one another in God. You see, we must do that. We must strengthen each other in God, which means at least this, that each of us needs to find what I could call our spiritual voice. That is to say, we need to get comfortable with each other talking about God. Now, I know that may sound funny, but, 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 but a lot of people, even in the context of the church, don't do that very much. They don't really talk too much to other people about God. And there, there comes a time each of us has to find the spiritual voice so that we're able to share these things about God with each other if we're going to be able to strengthen one another's hand in God. I mean, I, I grew up in the church. Some of you know my little story. I grew up in the church and all of that. But, but I, I, I hit a phase in my life, quite frankly, that I didn't speak, even though I believe didn't speak about God to people very much at all. It, it took me, actually, 
being in a little small group, what we call life groups, a little small group of people, and finally people talking to me and me talking to them, trying to find this voice, this spiritual voice to be able to speak to people about God, right? That's the irony of me doing this. <laughs> but, but to speak to people about God, you need to find that, find that voice. When Karen and I and Chad and Tiffany, when we teach this, uh, before you say I do class, one of the things that we talk to each couple about is to make sure your spouse-to-be knows how you came to faith. It's amazing to me how many times we have couples, and, and if you ask the young woman what's your future husband's testimony, she'll go, you know, I don't really know. You go, what? Happens all the time, though. So he said, make sure you find your spiritual voice with each other so you can talk about God to each other, so you can actually pray with each other, so you can actually read the Bible to each other. So if you're married and you don't have that, you say, you know, we don't really talk about God that much. You really need to. It's necessary to. That's what we do, those who fear the Lord. We talk about him. We esteem his name. And through that comes great encouragement. That's why on Sundays we, we do what we do. We, 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 we give you voice. See, you sing. We sing. That's one way of giving us voice. And, and I know lots, some people don't like to sing. And some people don't like your singing. But we need to sing. Why? Because we need to give voice to these spiritual words, these words about God, these phrases, they need to come out of our mouths. We need to learn how to do that. And, and it, you know, it, you know I, I think in life there are uh, uh, 10% who live their life very outward and about 90% that live their lives very awkward, right? I mean, they say these aren't easy things to do necessarily. Some of us, especially people like me, it just doesn't come easily, but, but we need to learn to say these words out loud and be heard by others and, and claim them as our own. You see, these, these words, these spiritual words, this is one of the ways that God is blessed by us and also one of the ways that we're blessed in our hands, our lives are strengthened in each other. So we sing and we, 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 make, we pray out loud together. We write them down. We've got to pray them together. Don't, don't just read it while everybody else says it out. Learn to say these words out loud in these prayers of confession and whatever prayers we pray or unison readings or, or any of that. Part of that, part of the reason for that, is, to, is a corporate body to give us voice. So we actually become accustomed to saying these things in each other's hearing. And so that encourages, just by the very nature of it, but also it helps us on Tuesday when we see each other, when we run into each other, we begin to speak to one another. We need to learn how to do that. Dads, if when it comes time to pray over uh, at mealtime, it's fine for your wife to pray, it's fine for your kids to pray, but make sure you are praying too. Find your voice. Even in that setting. Or before the kids go to bed. Find your voice. Pray for them. Read the Bible. Find your voice. That's necessary to do. And they could do that, you see. In the midst of this time, they had a voice. They had a spiritual voice. And they could, they could speak to each other. The way that the scripture puts it, for instance, in Hebrews in chapter 3 is this. The author of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another 
every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, he says, listen, we need to exhort one another every day. We need to be talking to each other, husbands and wives, kids and parents, friends and relationships. That's why it's helpful to be in a small group. You can find your voice there. Maybe it's only six people, but you talk to them about Christ. If you don't have that, you need to really develop that. Moses, as he writes instructions to the people on how they're to live, for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, puts it like this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, when he's saying that you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, he isn't saying just to your children. He's saying, yes, teach your children in all these occasions. But also, you should be such a person that when you're walking along, you should be able to speak of Christ, especially to those who believe in him, especially to your family, especially to those who are close to you. You should be able to speak of Christ. When you lie down, you should be able to speak of Christ. You should be able to pray. You should be able to do these things. And please understand, as an introvert, I understand that's a difficult thing to do sometimes. But we still must. It's still necessary to find our voice. They had it, and they had their voice. And what was amazing about this is that when God heard them, he has what he refers to here as a book of remembrance. Now, the kings had books of remembrance. You might remember in the days of Esther. Remember her? Mordecai uh, was uh, a great help to her brother. And... uh, Mordecai um, had done a great act on one occasion. He actually saved the life of the king. And so one day, it just so happened, that the king asked one of his uh, helpers, servants, to read from him from his book of his chronicles, the chronicles of his kingship. And it had this passage about Mordecai saving his life. And he says, well, have I ever done anything to reward Mordecai for this? And so it's very integral in the story. I'll let you read that. But, but that sense of it, the kings kept records so that, yes, they could have something against the people that had hurt them, but also be able to reward those who had helped them. They keep a record of that. And there's a sense God says, I have a book. And we know of this book. It's all throughout the, the scripture. We read of this, this book, God's book. And we read of it in the New Testament about the, the book of, of life. Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples and they saw great things and they thought it was really great. And he said, well, that's all good, but you really should rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So there is this book, God's Remembering, he said, listen, when you look around and it seems that the evildoers are prospering and you're not, and they're having a good go of it and you're not, and it's difficult and you think that you've lived your life and it's just a waste. No, you haven't because everything matters. Everything's important. Why? Because I'm God and I'm watching it all and I'm recording it all and I have it here. And trust me that a day will come when you'll see it. In fact, he says, I promise this. For those who fear me, When I come, I'll gather you up as my treasured possession. 
Now, when he said that, God did to these people in the days of Malachi, bells and whistles should have been going off in their head because they would know all the way back in Exodus chapter 19 that God said that you will be my treasured possession. And that little expression, treasured possession, is a wonderful expression because it means, as God would say it, everything's mine, but you're my treasured possession. That is, everything is mine, and out of everything that I own, you give me the most delight. I always refer to this expression as pocket money. You know, you have, you have all your money, you put it in the bank, whatever. And then, if you're like me at least, I take some money for Snickers bars and stuff, you know. Uh, and that's my treasured possession. You know, that's, that's just to make me happy. I just keep that around, you know. And uh, I have to use cash because Karen always looks at the receipts of the credit card stuff, so she knows when I'm doing that there. And, and uh, finally caught on after a while, she would read these receipts and says, I don't know, you got a gallon of milk, some eggs, and a Snickers bar. I said, oh, I can't believe they charged me for that. Uh, I have to sue that store. But, um, so now I just pay cash. But anyway, it's, it's what really gives you, he says, You're, at the end of the day, you may not, think any of this matters but it all matters trust me at the end of the day the distinction will be made and you'll see it and you'll be gathered with the ones who give me delight you'll be gathered with the ones who are my good pleasure you'll be gathered with my as my treasured possession. Apostle Peter tells us that what I read this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is, his treasured possession. So he says, how is it that we endure now? How is it that we persevere when, when our lives look worse than everyone else's, even those who may not be following God at all? How, how do we endure that? And he said, well, trust me. Trust me. The day will come when you'll really see it. Trust me. I've given you enough to trust me. I've given you Jesus. I've given you my spirit to be this guarantee, this down payment, if you will, this guarantee of what is to come. You've seen glimpses throughout the course of your life. And yes, I know in this life you'll have trouble. We all have trouble. But, 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 but all of this is worth it. All of this is adding to it. All of this is helping. All of this is strengthening. All of this is key for you. So keep, as our elementary school teachers used to tell us from time to time, keep talking amongst yourselves. Keep speaking well of God to each other. And you'll be strengthened to endure. See, we do Sundays, as we mention all the time. We do Sundays so we can stop and gaze upon God. And when we stop and gaze upon God, then everything gets put back in perspective. See, starting when we leave, uh, there'll be uh, lots of stuff that will uh, put life out of whack. And we'll see and we'll go, what? Is God really ruling and reigning? Is this really true? 
These things will come against us. And, and so we need to speak to each other throughout the course of the week. We need to read the scripture. We need to pray. We need to be, but Sundays we come and we stop and gaze just as the psalmist of Psalm 73 did, this Asaph. And, and, and he said, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. In other words, then I saw everything as it is to be. And that enables me now to live now because I know what is to be. So then he puts it like this. He says, truly you set them, that is those who don't fear you. You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. My soul was embittered when I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. But then he returns to God and he says this. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. That is how we're to live by faith let's pray Father in heaven I pray for me for us that may believe this may strengthen our hearts our souls our very lives so that we may continue to live to persevere and to persevere to the end. God, there are times when we see that which confuses us and brings great pain. We wonder, is all this for naught? And you remind us and say, no. Nothing is for naught. Everything is for good. And so, we trust you, God. That you'll be at work in all things. And the day will come when we'll see it clearly. Thank you that you've given to us enough so that our faith is reasonable. Enough so that we can truly trust. We pray, God, that our faith would grow as our knowledge of you grows. We pray for those who struggle. We pray for Wanda Haney on the death of her mom, that you would be with her and comfort her and her family. For Dale Rubison as he struggles these days with this cancer that the doctors say is killing him. Be with him. We pray, God, for your kindness and healing power upon Nathan Slater as he recovers from surgery as Shirley Grubbs recovers from her eye surgery as others in our congregation face various physical, emotional, relational 
difficulties be with him. Lord, we pray for our country on the coming of this election, that you would be with us, that you would lead us, guide us, that you would be gracious to us, that you would be kind to us, that you would show your favor upon us, to lead us into righteousness. We give you thanks for Jimmer's return, a safe return. And we pray for those who are still there, many we know personally, some others from our congregation, that you would be with those in the military to keep them. Their faith in the midst of that would grow strong. And there would be a great testimony, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be with us as a church as we desire to live in such a way that others would, would know you. May we fear you. May we worship you. May we walk in your ways. May we serve you with heart and soul. May we love you. May we keep your commandments. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you that uh, there'll be elders available up front here to pray if you have a particular need. So please take advantage of that uh, after the service. Please receive now this, this God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. can be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. And together let us sing.
Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. You are dismissed.